would ask you to turn in the Word of God this evening to the Gospel of Matthew and to the chapter 27. We did enjoy uh, the pieces tonight that Sam has brought. The Sam on the CD was singing so well, and the Sam in the pulpit didn't do too bad either. And we do trust the Lord will bless our brother as he continues around the province uh, serving the Lord through the singing ministry. I'm going to read tonight a portion of scripture that has become very familiar to us over these past number of weeks as we have been considering Calvary. We've been reading from Matthew chapter 27 and also comparing the other gospel writers. And tonight, just in the time that is left to us, I want us to come to consider afresh here uh, a detail at Calvary. We'll read from verse 45 and reading down a number of verses together. Matthew 27 and the verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land onto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Amen. We'll end there at verse 54. And it is to that 54th verse that I want to draw your attention tonight. And what we see here is the salvation of a soul at Calvary. The salvation of a soul at Calvary. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. With these words before us, let's unite together in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we do thank thee tonight for all that has gone before. And we do praise thee, O God, for help that has been given and even for those messages and song. Bless, O God, the message to each and every heart. And as we come to meditate upon thy precious word, we thank thee, our Father, for the inspired record tonight. And as we come to it, may we realize that we are not following cunningly devised fables, 
But we come to that more sure word of prophecy. Lord, speak to us tonight through thy precious word and glorify thy name, even in the salvation of precious souls. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. The individual in our text of Scripture tonight is simply referred to as the centurion. The centurion. And he is given that name because he was the Roman soldier who had authority over 100 men. And so the name is given centurion, indicating that he was in charge and in command of 100 Roman soldiers. It is therefore highly likely that this particular individual was in charge of all that was taking place at Calvary. He was the one who was given the responsibility to oversee the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and the thieves that were crucified alongside him. This man was overseeing all that went on. And no doubt in his capacity as the Roman centurion, he would have overseen many crucifixions. And no doubt having witnessed it so many times, he would have become hardened to the cruelty and to the suffering and to the deaths that were taking place. Familiarity with it, it had just now was making no impression upon him whatsoever. But when it came to this particular crucifixion, he realizes there's something vastly different. When it came to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was something here that drew his attention. And in verse 54, our text of Scripture, it tells us there, now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus. And so he was watching the Lord Jesus Christ. He was observing all that was taking place here. He was closely monitoring the situation. He was watching Jesus as he hung there upon that center tree. The other evangelists Mark and Luke also cover this particular detail. And in Mark chapter 15 and the verse 39, it says, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. It shows us the position there of the centurion. It says he stood over against him. That is, he positioned himself right there where he could see all that was going on. He positions himself over against him. He's beside the Lord Jesus Christ as he's being crucified. And that word stood that is used in Mark's gospel, it indicates to stand for a prolonged time. And so there he is for this prolonged period of time, and he's watching the Lord Jesus Christ. There are other soldiers there, but they don't seem to have the same interest. 
There are soldiers who were gambling for the garments of the Lord Jesus, and we consider that at a time. They're totally disinterested with what is taking place on that center tree. They're just cruel and cold and callous. Perhaps there's another group of soldiers and it's their responsibility to go forth and to break the legs of those who were being crucified in order to speed up their death. Of course, they didn't have to do that with the Savior because he was dead already, but there's other soldiers there. But it's this particular soldier. It's the Roman centurion. And he's watching Jesus. And here as he's watching the Lord Jesus Christ, something touches his heart. And there's something that moves him. And of course we believe it was the Holy Spirit of God who began to work in his heart. And there at Calvary, this Roman centurion is going to get gloriously saved. And he said, truly, this was the Son of God. And for a moment or two together, I want you to think about the salvation of this soul at Calvary. Firstly, the concern of this man. When you look into our text in verse 54, it tells us about the centurion who was watching Jesus and he saw the earthquake and those things that were done. And it says they feared greatly. There was a great fear that came upon this individual. Now, he wouldn't have been easily given to fear. It was more the other way about. There would have been a people who feared him. He was the Roman centurion. He was the man who had authority, and his very presence would have struck fear into the hearts of many. But it's different now. The tables have turned, and he's afraid. He feared greatly. It's a very strong fear. It's actually speaking about one who is terrified. This is no little scare. The earthquake has taken place. The very ground below him has moved. The rocks have been rent. Now he's quaking. He's the one who's filled with fear. It tells us there in the verse that they were watching Jesus and they saw the earthquake and those things that were done. The things that had taken place there at Calvary. And we have been over those things in the past number of weeks in our gospel meeting. Do you remember the darkness came down? It was 12 noon, the brightest time of the day. But darkness came down. Now that would cause people to fear. The darkness was there for three hours. The cry of the Savior coming out of the darkness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when he had cried with a loud voice, he gave up the ghost. And at that moment, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. The earth began to shake. There was an earthquake as the Lord Jesus Christ gave up the ghost upon Calvary. 
An earthquake to the extent that the very rocks were rent. And then it tells us as we considered last time that the graves were opened. That's enough to strike fear into the heart of anyone. Here we have this Roman centurion. A hardened man. And yet he's brought to fear. That the supernatural events that are taking place at Calvary, he witnessed it all. He watched Jesus and he saw the things that were done. And he feared greatly. He heard the cries from the cross. Seven cries in all. A year or two ago, we went over every one of them. We did a study on the seven cries of Christ from the cross. And this centurion heard them. And he's going to hear the Lord Jesus Christ praying for those that crucified him. And he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That had an impression on the heart of the one who was in charge of all that was going on. And within his heart, there's such an impression made that there's a concern there within his soul. And as he observes there the Savior, he looks above him and he sees the sign above him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. He witnesses the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked upon him there as he hung upon that center tree. He's a bloodied spectacle. And there he watches. And something there is touching his heart. And he realizes that everything that is taking place here, it's not normal. It's not natural. And he listens to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even to that point, just before the Savior laid down his life, it says he cried with a loud voice. The centurion, having witnessed many crucifixions, would never have witnessed anything like that. Mark's gospel says he saw that he so cried out. You see, anyone who has been scourged and beaten and has been nailed to the tree and is in excruciating pain and has hung there for a number of hours, Every last bit of strength would be drained from their physical frame and they would be so weak they would barely be able to lift up their head, never mind lift up their voice. But here's the Lord Jesus Christ and he can cry with a loud voice and the centurion realizes this is not natural. This death is different to all other deaths. He had that concern within his heart. He feared greatly. I wonder as we have considered Calvary, have thought about all of those different details and the wonders that took place there, has it caused a concern within your heart? Maybe one that's not yet saved, not yet converted to Christ, and you're hearing of all that the Savior endured upon that center tree, 
His visage was marred more than any man's and his form more than the sons of men. He's a bloodied spectacle there upon the cross. Does it bring a concern to your heart? Have you a fear tonight? A fear for your soul in eternity? The concern of this man. Then we think secondly about the confession of this man. And at the end of our text of Scripture, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. This was the Son of God. What a confession it was to make. And you think of that word, truly. And behind that word, it it suggests to us something of a battle that was going on, the turmoil within his heart as he wrestled with all of these issues and he's thinking over all that has taken place here. Is he the Son of God? Is he really who he claims to be? At first, it would have seemed ludicrous to the Roman centurion. It would have seemed something totally absurd to him. That's a ridiculous claim. Here's another religious fanatic that we have to deal with. Son of God. That was the issue all through, wasn't it? That was the question. That was the burning question. You could look back to Matthew chapter 26 and you look there at the verse 63. Matthew 26 and the verse 63. But Jesus held his peace and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. That was what he was accused of. He claimed to be the Son of God. There the high priest is saying, tell us, tell us if it's true. If thou art the Christ, if thou art the Son of God. Then in Matthew 27 and the verse 40, there are those who mocked and ridiculed the Lord and poured scorn upon the Savior as he hung there upon the tree. And in Matthew 27 and verse 40, they said, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. If thou be the Son of God. That's the burning question here. Then you can look into verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. There it is repeated throughout the, the context here of the passage. And the burning question is, is Christ who he claims to be? And the centurion is obviously thinking about that. And he's turning that whole matter over within his heart. And he's thinking if he is, if he is the Son of God, that changes everything. If he is the Son of God, that changes my view of him. If he is the Son of God, I have done a terrible thing. I have overseen the very crucifixion of the Son of God. My sins, they have placed him there. You think about the turmoil. 
that's going on within this troubled heart of the centurion. And then there comes that moment. It's divine enlightenment. It's a moment of realization. It's a moment whenever the truth dawns upon his heart. And he can no longer hold it. He has to cry out and he says, truly, it is true. He came to that realization, truly, this is the Son of God. My brother Sam was singing tonight. That second piece he sang and he called it the birthday of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Then he said, the Son of God. That's who he is tonight. He's God's dear Son. He's the one who is God manifest in the flesh. Again, in the parallel verse in Mark's gospel, Mark gives the account that he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There's his humanity, this man. There's his deity, the Son of God. And what a confession it was for the centurion to make Luke's account in chapter 23 and the verse 47. He said, truly, he was the righteous man. Righteous. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And the Roman centurion said, it's true. It's true. What think ye of Christ is the test? To try both your lot and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. What do you think tonight of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say with the centurion, it's true. Truly this man was the son of God. The Apostle Peter made the confession in Matthew 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so there's the concern of this man. There's the confession of this man. And thirdly, the conversion of this man. Truly, this was the Son of God. And I believe when you compare the Gospel writers, there's enough evidence There's enough evidence there in the confession of the centurion to prove that he was truly and genuinely converted to Christ. And the confession is proof of it. He declares Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. The truth of his person as to who he really is. Let me read to you from 1 John chapter 5 and the verse 1. And John writes, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And being born of God entails believing that Jesus is the Christ. Being born of God is speaking about the new birth. It's speaking about salvation. And it was the Apostle John in John chapter 3 who spoke about the new birth. He recorded it in John 3 and verse 7. The words of the Savior, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And to be born again 
is to believe that Jesus, the Christ of God, is the Messiah. And that's not just with a, a casual mental assent, an intellectual belief, and we covered that last Lord's Day morning. No, it's more than just what we believe in the mind, because we know that the devils also believe in that sense and tremble. We know that it reaches further even than the very heart. But what is understood in the mind enters down into the heart and becomes that settled conviction in the heart. And there's the gospel dawning upon the heart. This is the Son of God. Bringing the soul to that realization, it then moves the will. And it moves the will to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. And in that moment of time, we're born again. And the centurion there at Calvary, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. And I believe in a moment of time, he became a saved soul. It happened to the centurion. He came to faith. He came to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It happened to the dying thief who said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Where we read there in 1 John 5 and the verse 1, it says, Whosoever, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Therefore, it's not just open to the Roman centurion not just open to the penitent thief, but it's open to you tonight. It's open to the whosoever. You can come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to the salvation of your soul. I believe there's further evidence over in the Gospel of Luke, and there it's the chapter 23 where we find that parallel verse in verse 47, now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the expression there that's added by Luke, that's not given by the other two uh, gospel writers, is that he glorified God. And here's an individual who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And in doing so, he glorified God. And there's nothing that glorifies God more than another soul getting saved. Another soul coming to him. We pray for a move of the Spirit of God to the salvation of souls. Lord, send the old-time power, the Pentecostal power, the floodgates of blessing on us through open wide. Lord, send the old-time power, the Pentecostal power, that sinners be converted and thy name glorified. That the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in the salvation of souls. This centurion was willing to stand out from the crowd at Calvary. And he was willing to give that personal word of testimony, was willing to declare the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. 
In Luke 23 and the verse 48, the verse that immediately follows that confession of faith, tells us about others. And it tells us there at Calvary that they smote upon their breasts and returned. We don't know how they stood with God. It did become for them a solemn time when they smote upon their breast. But we don't know how it finished up with them. What about you tonight? We've visited Calvary. We've heard the message of the gospel. What will you do with Jesus? Tell me, what will your answer be? For someday your soul will be asking, what will Jesus do with me? May God bless his word to every heart this evening.